Can you put, Ryan, can you put up that picture for me? You guys, this week, and you guys know my, um, my son Christian. Can you see that picture there? Any of you who follow me on Facebook know that he did what's called a white coat ceremony uh, yesterday. And that is basically an induction into medical school. And some of you know um, the history with Christian and everything that's gone on with him. So getting him to Rocky Vista University, which is over by American Furniture Warehouse, has been a miracle. Has been a miracle. The other miracle we'll talk about, probably not today, is that his father attended the ceremony as well. And we had dinner afterwards. And that's a whole other sermon that I'll get into later um, because that's for a whole other day. But that was, that was a day of miracles yesterday, you guys, that, that um, he, he's there. He's starting school for real on Monday. And uh, it was just awesome to have the whole family there. You know, as we were um, going through all the ceremonies, we had like open houses all day, and then we had the actual white coat ceremony, and they give you the um, history. What Christian is doing is becoming a doctor of osteopathy. Do any of you guys know what that means? Anybody familiar? She knows what it means. Yes, she does. So um, actually, the, the, the person who started the school of osteopathy or the type of medicine was actually a pastor. He was actually a minister, believe it or not. And back like in 1800s, when they used to do uh, medicine, it was pretty rugged. I mean, you, you got like six months of tech, tech thing on the field, and you were called a doctor, and you were cutting people's legs off with saws and giving them mercury to kill syphilis and, you know, doing all kinds of crazy things, right? So medicine was not very advanced back then. And he um, wanted to investigate what you call alternative types of medicine, you know, and so he would looked into all these different things. But one thing that osteopathy really believes in, and these are the tenets, is the body is a unit. The person is a unit, a, sorry, a body, mind, and spirit. So they really believe in those three parts to the person, body, body mind, and spirit. And a lot of people look at osteopathy as kind of a more, more holistic way of doing medicine um, versus a medical doctor, which is, are you ready for a fancy term? Practices allopathy. Allopathy is a more drug-related approach. Osteopathy, do you love that? Osteopathy, that while they still utilize drugs in their medical, you probably know this too, don't you? Their medical um, practice, they also do... Uh, Back, they do body um, adjustments, manipulations. They're looking for more of a holistic answer and not just a drug answer or something like that. So it, they're, they're equally, they get as much education as an MD. It's just a kind of a different philosophy, way of doing medicine. But that's, that's the actual college that he's in. He'll be a doctor of osteopath, osteopathy, I think, in four years after like, you know, $400,000 worth of debt or something crazy, right? Ugh. You know, while we were, um, <laughs> while we were in the, it, we, it was, the ceremony was from two to four yesterday, and you could invite your parents and your friends and stuff like that to witness the ceremony, and they had, um, and you know, let's remember, this was started by a pastor, a Christian pastor, who believes the body is mind, um, 
body and spirit, right? So they had an invocation. Invocation is usually a prayer to a deity. So when the, the doctor got up there to pray, he said, we're going to pray to the deity of your choice. I, I invite you to, to um, worship and pray to the deity of your choice. And then he started out the, um, the prayer with, dear creator who has many different names, you know. And I was just like, ooh, can't take that. And so I started just as a little bit of rebellion. I said, I'm going to name some names of Jesus, or I'm going to name some names of God. Jehovah Jireh, Jesus, Emmanuel, Holy Spirit, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth, Abba, Ancient of Days, Christ the Anointed One, El Yan, the God Most High, El Roy, the God who sees, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Elohim, the Creator, and Yahweh, the self-existent one. Give him a hand clap because he's not a God. He has, a, he has many different names, but he is one God, and there is only one God. So I had to, out of rebellion, kind of put that in for, for that ceremony. And I don't, you know, listen, that's a secular organization. I can't expect it to have Christian values. That would be unrealistic. But I'm going to live in the real world. And the real world is governed by one God. We live in the kingdom of God, and that's where I'm going to dwell. All right, I can still have contact with the natural world that maybe does not recognize reality, but I'm going to operate from a place of truth and reality. That's why it was super important for me to name those names of God. In his remarks also, the speaker kept referring to doctors, or these new student doctors, they call them, as warriors. You are actually warriors that are going out to conquer the enemy. Now, we've heard that before kind of in our way of talking, right? But what they, he was talking about, he says, the enemy of the human, of humanity, is guess what the enemy is? It's disease. The enemy is disease, and doctors are warriors who are conquering the enemy or bringing down the enemy of humanity. How many here knows that disease may be an enemy, but it's not the enemy? Does anybody know that? Disease is actually a weapon of the enemy, but it was not an enemy in and of itself. There's a greater enemy that we face, but disease is only a weapon, and it's not his only weapon. Am I right? It's, it, it seems sad to me that they talked about body, mind, and spirit, but did not have any place in their ceremony or it looks like in their schooling to address the spiritual side of people. That was, a, am I right? That was a, it was a holdover from their tenants and for the, from the man who started that kind of philosophy, but yet they didn't practice it. They didn't. They didn't even really recognize it because they were like, pray to the deity of your choice. And it, it kind of reminded me of like, say we were going out to the battlefield. We're all warriors. We're going out to the battlefield. And the enemy has bows and arrows, knives, and pistols. That's what, The enemy has that. And we have, we have in our technology hand grenades, machine guns, 
and aircraft that would go over with a drone and drop bombs. And yet, we go out to the enemy with bows and arrows, pistols, and knives, or whatever I said. What a shame that would be that we wouldn't tap into the actual arsenal that we do have to fight the enemy. That's how I felt about Christian and these doctors. They have an enemy, but they are fighting this enemy with a limited arsenal. They have so much more arsenal at their disposal that they are absolutely not even looking at or acknowledging. And I don't want us to be like that. That's the way the world heals people. We have a better way. We have a more powerful way. We have a more lasting way. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. You know, um, we had this class on Tuesday night that we go to that's been really life-giving. And even in our everyday talks and walks with our family, we'll come across people that appear to be completely hopeless. Their lives are falling apart. Some of them are even Christians. Their lives are falling apart. They are living completely hopeless lives. And as much as we pray for them or we try to talk sense to them or say God loves you and all those kinds of things, there is nothing that we can do in our talking to them to get them to understand who God really is and what he can really do. What they need is a supernatural encounter from God. They absolutely need something that is not within our physical body, but is actually a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Because, because the Holy Spirit knows what they're dealing with. The Holy Spirit knows the filter, the background, the wound, the personality, knows everything about that person and can meet that person right where they're at and really sometimes do an instantaneous act. And so I was like, wow, I can't talk this person. Like, you can't reason with some people. They're so much in the pit that you cannot reason them out of a pit. Does that make sense? And so they need the Holy Spirit to reach down and rip them out of that pit. <laughs> when I was working at The Rock, um, Danny Silk, you guys know Danny Silk? Keep your love on. He did a um, seminar over there. Like a, he came and spoke, and then he did a staff training. And... It, it took me a while to get used to Danny Silk. Danny Silk is pretty self-confident, self-assured. And um, he was doing a whiteboard exercise for us, and he was talking to the staff about what our values were, what our focus was when we are doing ministry there at the church, and um, just all those kinds of things. And as, you know, as it would be, all of us would raise our hands and say, well, it's about community. Church is about doing community. That's the way you know, we're going to make things happen is if we have really good community. And other people be like, no, we need to focus on evangelism. Evangelism is the, is the number one, you know, task of the church, and that's what we need to be doing. Another person might say, no, it's outreach. We need to be doing outreach. Outreach is what God has called us to, make disciples, whatever it is. We'd all have these different values, and we didn't much agree because we were doing our own thing. And one thing Danny Silk said that I did not understand at the time, but I totally am on board with it now. <laughs> he said, if you're not going after the presence of God, you can forget about all this stuff. He goes, your number one, number one focus and goal is the presence of God. 
And I, at the time, I'm like, what are you talking about? You're so hyper-spiritual or charismatic or, you know, whatever. I didn't understand it. And now I'm like, oh, that's the number one thing. Because, see, all those other things, community, evangelism, outreach, are weapons in our hand. They're weapons that come out of the presence of God to be completely successful, to really find its mark. Does that make sense? And so now I understand, oh, the Holy Spirit can do, I know that you don't believe this, so much more than I can do by just talking to people. And if I would pursue and seek an encounter with him, he would um, empower evangelism, community, outreach, all those things. And so I really have been mulling over this idea of encountering God and what does that look like and what does it mean and how do we pursue that and, and just all those kinds of things. You know, I was talking to Bob about this. It's, I was saying, it's a good thing that we have more than one speaker who speaks at Saturday Night Supper Club. Because if it was me, I would speak every single week probably about the same thing, just in a different way. Because that's the way that God made me. And I finally realized, oh, it's okay that that is my DNA, and I get to say it over and over and over. I just maybe shouldn't say it every single week. Maybe we'll just switch it out with different speakers and stuff like that. But one thing that I realize that God has created me to do is to, um, well, and created all of us, is that we all have a unique destiny and we all have a unique call, and that includes me. If you guys know me, you know that I really love um, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Strengths Finder, all those kinds of personality tests, because not only do they help me understand me, they help me understand all the other people I don't understand, all the other crazy people. I can be like, I don't get it. I was talking to Chris today. We were talking about somebody, and he goes, I do not understand how this person can do X, Y, or Z. I said, babe, you guys are as far apart as you can possibly be. I said, you are nothing like each other. And that's the truth. I am nothing like some of you guys out there. But when I study StrengthsFinder and all that, I'm like, oh, now I get that. But the number one thing that StrengthsFinder has done for me is it's helped me pin down what I'm called to do. And so I retook it today. Um, I took it in 2013, and it, there's 34 different um, strengths you can have. And they say that you operate in your top five or your top ten most of the time. And so I had, had done it in 2013. I thought, well, I'll take it again and see if I'm close to where I was in 2013. I actually was. I was, I was pretty close. Although strategy has moved up, probably because I know you, believe it or not. And my number one strength is woo, because I know you, because you have woo. That's my husband. One of my strengths is called individuation. Individuation is the strength to look at people and say, you know what, you're called to do this, you're called to do that, you're called to do this, you're called to do that, and to release people into their destiny. That's what I'm called to do, is to call people's destiny out, say, how do I help you get to your destiny? Because that's what you were born to do, and I want to see you walk in it. That would be a great joy of mine to see you released into your destiny. <laughs> Another strength of mine, you like this, is activator. Activator is an influencing gift that says, let's do it, let's do it now. Let's not wait, let's not think about it, let's not have paralysis of analysis, let's do it today. And that's what I want to say about um, your destiny. 
Let's do your destiny today. Let's not wait for your destiny. Let's not think about your destiny. Let's not worry about your destiny. Let's release your destiny. That's what I want to say to you. Destiny is released when we encounter God. And so I'm like, let's encounter God today so we can release our destiny today. Let's walk in our destiny right now. Want to do that? My other strength is called belief. Belief is actually an execution strength, meaning getting stuff done, and substitute the word stuff for something else. Getting stuff done. But belief allows me to listen to that speech yesterday and go, oh, they don't have the whole picture. To not be fooled by the world and the deception of the world and all that. Belief allows me, belief allows me to say, this is the truth, and I'm standing on the truth, and I'm going to operate in the truth, and you're all going to do it with me. We're not going to be wishy-washy. We're not going to think about it again. We're not going to over, you know, analyze. This is the truth. We're going to walk in it. That's what belief allows me to do. And so I'm not going to apologize for being that kind of person that says, okay, you guys, enough messing around. Let's start being and doing and becoming the people that we're supposed to be because the world is waiting for us. My number, one of my number one things on that test I took today, there was some kind of question um, about significance. And one of them was, do you want to change the world? And I was like, hell yeah, I want to change the world. I want to be known as a world changer. I want people to look back at my funeral and say, she shifted mountains because of her belief, her activation, and her individuation. And she wasn't afraid to go after it. I want people to say that about me, and I want people to say that about you. I want people to say, that Saturday Night Supper Club, they're out to change the world. They're not accepting the status quo. They're not accepting sickness, marriages falling apart, relationships broken. They're not accepting that. They're out to actually shift the atmosphere and bring heaven to earth. That's what I want to do, and I want all you people to do it with me. And I'm going to keep urging you on and urging you on to do it till we see it done. And that's why I want to talk about encountering God, because I believe that encountering God is the key to being a world changer. It is the absolute foundation for us to, to know our identity and to know our destiny. One of my points here, encountering God is the only vehicle to permanent and lasting healing. You know, I was listening to um, someone on the radio and they talked about counseling. They said, you know, Secular counseling is okay. It can help you do some behavioral changes. It can help you have some healing by the way you maybe change your thinking or change your activity. But Christian counseling points you to the healer. Christian counseling points you to the healer and says, this is the man who can heal you. It's not just behavior. It's not just changing your stinking thinking. It is an encounter with God who will change you and heal you. You know, um, 
do you remember that? Uh, this is my favorite, one of my favorite um, verses. I'm going to read it from the Passion. One afternoon, Peter and John went to the temple for the three o'clock prayer. As they came to the entrance called the Beautiful Gate, they were captured by the sight of a man crippled from birth being carried and placed at the entrance to the temple. He was often brought there to beg for money from those going in to worship. When he noticed Peter and John going into the temple, he begged them for money. Peter and John, looking straight into the eyes of the crippled man, said, Look at us. Expecting a gift, he readily gave them his attention. Then Peter said, I don't have money, but I'll give you this. By the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Peter held out his right hand to the crippled man. As he pulled the man to his feet, suddenly power surged into the crippled feet and ankles. The man jumped up, stood there for a moment, stunned, and then began to walk around. As he went into the temple courts with Peter and John, he leapt for joy and shouted praises to God. When all the people saw him jumping up and down and heard him glorifying God, they realized it was the crippled beggar they had passed by in front of the beautiful gate. Astonishment swept over the crowd, for they were amazed over what had happened to him. I believe that an encounter with God is going to bring healing, permanent healing to you, and you'll be a testimony to the people around you, just like that man was at the beautiful gate. And I like the way that um, the King James says it, because this is the way I memorized it. Imagine, you guys, if we went out and we said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee pick up your mat and walk. What if we did that? What if we walked to the Walmart and to the Kohl's and to wherever the people were sitting crippled and broken and we said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. I just love that picture. Encountering God releases identity and destiny. Do you guys remember the story of Gideon? The Israelites if you remember your history, your Israelite history, they're persecuted, pressed, distressed, and overrun by the Midianites. They have, the Israelites have engaged in idol worship, and now they're paying the price for it. And they're hiding out in caves, and the Midianites are swarming over, and the Bible says like locusts, swarming over the Israelites like locusts. And the Israelites don't have any food. They know what, don't know what to do. They are wrecked. And here's Gideon. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. You guys know the story. You know what a wine press is? A wine press is in a dark cave. When you thresh, thresh wheat, you need to throw it up, let the wind take the chaff, and then the, the wheat will come down. You can't do that in a wine press. The only reason he was in a wine press was to hide from the Midianites. He was trying to provide for his family by threshing wheat in a wine press where no one could see him where the threshing wouldn't work, there is no breeze, it's dark and dank. And that's where Gideon is, afraid, lonely, hopeless, doesn't know what to do. And he's visited by an angel of the Lord. And I like this because, and maybe, does anyone remember what this is in the Old Testament? David would remember. It's a theophany. It's a picture of God. The angel of the Lord is a theophany. It's actually God himself coming to Gideon, and what does he say? He speaks identity to Gideon. 
he says, well, the first thing he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now remember, he's in a wine press, threshing wheat. That's not real mighty because he's hiding from all of his enemies. But the Lord says, I call you mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, yeah, what you talking about? Who? Who me? Who me, Willis? What you talking about? The second thing the Lord says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon says, um, do you know who I am? I'm part of, I'm the youngest son of the weakest clan in Israel. Don't think you got the right guy. I think you're looking for somebody else. And God says, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Three times God spoke to Gideon. Here's what I get out of that. You don't have to be full of courage and brave. You can be timid, and you can encounter God, and he can do mighty things through you. In fact, when he met Gideon, you know what Gideon did? He did a bunch of things. Here's a fleece. Are you sure you're talking to me? Whatever. But you know what he did? He struck down all the Midianites. Because encountering God changes nations. Midian goes on to def- or, sorry, Gideon goes on to defeat the Midianites and become a judge over all of Israel. And it says in Judges 8:28, "Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again." During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace 40 years. 40 years, because Gideon was called out by God, identified as a mighty warrior, and set into his destiny. His obedience, his participation, changed the history of the nation. Changed the history of the nation. Because encountering God changes nations. There's another another person. This is in the time of the judges. There's another person called Josiah. Do you know who Josiah is? Josiah, now, little history lesson. In the Old Testament, when there were kings over Israel, they were always identified as good kings or bad kings. They were a good king, like David. They were a bad king, like Ahab. On and on, kings were always identified by whether they were good or whether they were bad. So here comes little Josiah. Josiah is eight years old when he gets the throne. He's eight years old. This is what the Bible says. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. Now, here's what happened. He began to seek God, instituted all these changes. There was a temple that was being rebuilt, and inside the walls were hidden scriptures that had been lost to the people for a long, long time. And Josiah said, what have we been doing? Let's get these scriptures. Let's do what God has called us to do. Let's reinstitute all the different sacrifices and the things that we're supposed to do because I want to be a boy, king, who follows God, who does what God has called me to do. 
Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. Because when you have an encounter with God, that changes the nations. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. For his whole life, he influenced Israel, the nation of Israel. Here's what I get from that. You don't have to be over the age of eight for God to use you. You can be real, real young, and God's going to use you to change a nation. It's not your age that prevents you from having an encounter from God. God can use anybody at any age. You know, there's somebody else that encountered God. It was the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. You know, she was an outcast. She was many times married, possibly divorced. We had a little bit fuzzy, but obviously not living the kind of life that she wanted to live or was considered acceptable by her people. She was a Samaritan. Samaritans were considered half-breeds by the Jews. They were scorned. They worshipped a different place than Jerusalem, and they were not welcome to the Jews, not considered to be part of the covenant whatsoever. And you know what? She encountered Jesus one day, one time. She encountered Jesus one day, one time. And she turned into an evangelist for her whole city. And it says in the scriptures that she ran, now this is a woman, ran, not just a woman, a harlot, possibly a whore, possibly we don't know what, very much entrenched in sin, runs to the city elders and she says, you've got to meet the man who told me everything about myself. And they, they invited Jesus to spend two days with them. And he taught them, ministered to them, and many people in their village were saved because of her testimony. That's what an encounter with God does. Empowers you to do what you've called, been called to do. So what I get from this, you guys, you don't have to live a sinless life for God to encounter you and use you. He just needs your availability. Are you available for him? Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a fisherman. He did not go to college. He did not go to high school. Maybe he read, could read and write. I'm not really sure. Scripture's not clear on that. What we do know is he was not as educated as other people say Paul of that day. He was a lowly fisherman. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, they're all sitting in the upper room, all the disciples. The Holy Spirit comes on all the disciples. They begin speaking in many tongues. And the people that are around are like, what's going on? This is crazy. They must be drunk, but it's so early in the day. How can they be drunk? Peter, he's not an orator. He's not a communicator. He's not learned. He stands up and he says, this is from the Lord. And he delivers the first sermon, if you will, in the new church. 
And the power of the Holy Spirit comes on him, and 3,000 people join the church in that one day because of his encounter with the Holy Spirit. He had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that empowered him in the gift of evangelism, and the Holy Spirit drew those people into the church. And this is what I'm talking about, you guys. You don't have to be educated to have an encounter with God and by, be used by God to change the world. No, you don't need education. Education's good. I love it. It's fun. Don't need it. God doesn't need it. God knows everything. He'll do it for you. What God needs and what God is looking for, because it says his eyes rove to and fro across the world, seeking those who will serve him. God wants your availability. He doesn't want your ability. He wants your availability. Are you going to be available and say, yes, Lord, I choose to encounter you on a daily basis. I choose to be Peter and John who says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, because they have encountered the Holy Spirit, they've encountered God, and they carry him wherever they go. And these, this is what I want to become, you guys. I want to become people that say, yes, oh, yes, Holy Spirit, teach me your friendship, teach me your ways. How do I position myself to encounter you daily, on a daily basis, so that the world is changed because of my posture? My, here's the thing, you guys. One person, one person can change a nation Josiah changed a nation. Gideon changed a nation. The Samaritan woman changed the village. Peter established a church. These are all one. These are not, you know, we all got together and we thought about it and we had a committee and then we decided to do X, Y, or Z. That's not what was going on. This is one person that said, I've encountered you, God, and I say yes. I say yes to you and I'm going to change the world around me. And I'm going to preach that to the day I die, you guys. We are called to be world changers. We live in a spiritual reality. God bless the osteopathic school of Rocky Vista University. I wish them the best, but I really wish they operated in the real world and not, this, not just this below world, if you will, not underneath the weapons that they have at their disposal to cut down disease, to cut down everything that comes at us as human beings. We have those weapons. We have that power. We may not be trained in the medical science, but we're trained in something stronger and higher than that. We need to pick up our weapons of warfare, do war, and change this world, you guys. And that's my activator in there going, are you with me? Are you with me, people? Is that something you can do? Is that something you can say yes to, Chris Johnson? Yes and amen. Lord, I just thank you so much, God, that you've given us the weapons of warfare that are far beyond what earthly man can imagine. And we are not held down by the things of these this earth. We live and operate in a spiritual kingdom, and we operate with spiritual weapons. We operate with spiritual knowledge, discernment, and power. And God, I pray that you would release that over these people right now. 
supernatural power, supernatural discernment, supernatural wisdom, direction, prophetic words, signs and wonders, that you would have your way in this assembly right now, God, that we will be the world changers that you've called us to be. It takes one person. It takes one person to say yes to you. I will change the world around me. I will obey and do what you've called me to do. I'll respond. I'll respond to the encounter of you in my life. God, I pray for encounters every day that we would pursue encounters with you, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through reading the Bible. God, I think about Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, uneducated, young girl from France, age 16. She went to the king of France, and she gave him a prophetic word. And she revealed something to him that nobody knew but could only be known because you know, you know all things, God. And she led her people to victory. She led her people to victory, God. And she was 16 years old. God, I pray that we would have that boldness. We would have that courage. We would have that obedience. That we would know you like we've never known you before, Lord that you would take us to the next place, that we would be your conduits to this world, Lord. And with you, we would partner with you for the expansion of the kingdom, God. And we would absolutely say no to disease. We say no to oppression. We say no to every single scheme of the enemy. In the powerful name of Jesus.